Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. The ultimate love that the Lord has for us is the love that he demonstrated on the cross when he died for us to forgive us of all of our sin. So he says, just as the Father loved me, I love you. And that's how he loved. And then he says, now I want you to abide in my love. Again, not in someone else's. Not in someone else who maybe at the very moment is able to give that to you, maybe on your honeymoon. But I want you to abide in his love. The difference is, it is unconditional love. It's eternal love. It's a love that he loved you before you knew him. It's a love that he loves you now. It's a love that when you fail as a Christian from time to time, he will still love you. And even in his discipline, he's going to be proving his love to you. So you abide in that love. Then it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. That's a very interesting phrase because here's what happens. People can say, I love you, all right, but they don't really demonstrate it. There's a book that was written, oh, about 10, 15 years ago. It was a really good book. It started out by how do you really love your child. Then it turned out to be how to really love your teenager. And one of the ways it, it talked about is you can tell someone you love them. In communication, that's only 7%. I could tell Carol, I love her. I can write her a note. I love her. Technically, the whole concept of love that she got from me was only 7%. Now it's how I say it. It's in my tone. I could go to Carol and I could say something like, Carol, I love you? Now, I said I love her, but it's how I did it with my tone. Or I could say, darling, I love you. Now she knows. That's 38%. So you add that to the words of 7 to the 38, we're climbing up there. But if I say, I love you, I tell her, and the tone is right, but then I don't demonstrate it by perhaps responding first to the needs that she has when she wants me to help her do something. So I can tell her I love her all day long, but if I do not respond to her needs, I'm not really loving. So in this passage here, it's talking about the real love is based on a command. It's interesting how that the Lord obeyed the command of the Father. So if you're looking at how do I obey God, look at how the Son obeyed the Father. And then a good way for us to really say we love others is by showing how much we're going to really obey the Lord. Let me maybe use this illustration in your family. When your kids are real, real young, real, real young, you can tell them what to do. Their very first response is going to be, no, no, no. Then they get a little bit older and they start doing what you tell them to do. Maybe they're afraid of you. Maybe they understand a little bit more. So they start doing what you tell them to do. And then they get into those early, wonderful, difficult years of junior high, maybe some high school. And you ask them to do something. You tell them to do something. And they might struggle with that. And they want to do their own thing. But they respect you enough. You've been a pretty good parent. Haven't been too bad. They realize that you do kind of hold the keys to the kingdom on certain issues in their life. So they'll obey you. But often you might find, and see if this is true, that sometimes when you ask them to do something, they will obey you their way rather than obeying you your way. Do you know what I mean by that? You might want something done at a certain time. They're going to do it on their time. You want it to be done a certain way. 
They're going to do it their way. In other words, they look for ways to please you and to get your acceptance their way rather than your way. So in a sense, is that really love? Do they really love you? In this passage, you can obey God but not really love him. Now that's not sustainable, but there are a lot of people that are doing things that God might tell them to do, but it's not sustainable. Watch this. If you really love him, according to scripture, if you really love him, the outflow of that genuine love will be that you will obey them. Now as your kids get older, then they start looking at you, and they start looking at mom and dad, and it's way beyond the dad told me to do this, and mom told me I'm going to do what they tell me to do. They begin now to frame it. They don't just want to do what you tell them to do. They want to honor you. And how they want to honor you is now they want to do what you desire. So they're so tuned into you and they're saying to themselves, what can I do that will please mom and dad their way? And they begin to look for ways to lighten your load. And that comes in those senior years of your life. And then when you get into those years where your mind is starting to go, they begin to take over your life. And some of you older ones know exactly what I mean by that, don't you? Well, let's go back to Scripture again. If we abide in the Lord, there is this fruitfulness because we're abiding in His love. We begin to obey what He has to say. We do this, and when you obey Him, you reap what you sow, and we get those blessings right back to us when we do it God's way, in God's timing. Oh, how beautiful it is. So we look at love. The Son loved the Father. What did the Son do? He obeyed the Father. We love the Father. What do we do? We obey the Father. And by that... That's abiding in Him. That's what it's all about, abiding in Him, showing Him our obedient life. And finally, we have what we call the fullness of joy. I like this last part, and most of you probably would like to get there yourself. So let's look at the passage here. John chapter 15, as it moves into the abiding in Christ. He says this in verse 10 and then verse 11. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in me just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full well, I'll tell you there's something very special about joy and the Lord spoke, speaks a lot about it in here he's preparing their hearts for this whole aspect of joy hold your place here because you're going to see that he is so concerned about the joy of his disciples that in the what they call Jesus's high priestly prayer him being the priest going to God the Father he now prays for not only the disciples but a kind of extension goes to us and here's what he prays look here in John chapter 17 and verse 23 and 24 he says in that day you will not question me about anything truly truly I say to you if you ask the Father for anything in my name he will give it to you notice that relationship praying in his name abiding in him verse 24 until now you've asked nothing in my name and you will receive so that you will, and so that your joy may be made full or complete. I got thinking about the joy of the Lord. He is joy, the joy of the Lord. He calls it my joy, and then he talked about it in John 14, my peace. So he first told him, this is the peace, I'll give you my peace, that passes all understanding. Then he says over here, I'm going to give you my joy. I got thinking a little bit about this joy that he had that he was expressing right here. How did it fit into this context of Scripture? And this is what gets so fascinating. They really brought conviction to me. Let's go back in the timeline. 
He's now just finished the Lord's Supper. He's gotten the guys up and he says, let's roll. So he's out and he's now doing the teaching. In John chapter 15, as he's walking towards the garden, as he's heading that way, he's now talking to him about abiding him. Look at these vines. And if you want to have fruit, bear much fruit, you have to abide in the vine. So that he's given an object lesson as he's walking along doing this. And then he talks about the fullness of joy that he wants to give to them. Now, where was he headed? He was heading to the garden. He already knew because he's God that when he began to pray, these guys would fall asleep, not once, twice, maybe more. Then he knew that he's going to be betrayed. Then he knew that in the future, very soon, he's going to not only be betrayed, but he's going to be horribly whipped and mocked and humiliated in front of many people. He's going to be lied about. There'll be a kangaroo court that goes on. Soon he'll be crucified, although he never physically experienced crucifixion. He knew about what crucifixion was, probably had seen it. And so he knew that's what was going to happen. But the thing that he also saw that on the cross there'll be that moment that he as God will be separated from God, the Father, when he's taking the sin of the world upon himself and it gets pitch black at that moment. So he knows all of that is going on. And of course he knew that he would come back from the dead again and that he would do a little bit more teaching to those that were his followers and then ascend up to heaven. But during that time of going through the cross, they call that the Passion Week. All right, You've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, the suffering week that he had. All of that he could still say, in the midst of all that, that he had joy. And now he is saying, and I want you to have that joy. And I believe that joy is a result of abiding in him. So again, you might look at three things. Am I abiding in the Lord? If I am, I will have a very, very effective and fruitful prayer life. I will be very fruitful. There will be things in my life that will begin to change and I'll have a greater influence for God's glory. And then finally, I will have the fullness of joy. If you have lost your joy, eked out, it could be at that time, somehow we've gotten our eyes on the circumstances instead of the Savior. We may have looked at what's happening in our world today and we forgot to abide in the Lord at that very moment because He promises the fullness of joy in our life. And I'm going to tell you, that joy is so rich that even through your tears, you can have joy. Even though you're at the gravesite of one to whom you've been married for over 50 years and you know they have passed, you will be shaking. You will sense that momentary loss. You'll be confused about what the future would be like without that person. But in the midst of all of that, you're going to have the joy because of the very center of your life. You'll be filled with the fullness of God. You'll be so vitally connected to Him by abiding in Him and His words now taking over your life so that now you have the mind of Christ. So even though you're going through this, you are suffering because that's normal and natural in this life with this body and this mind, but we'll be filled with this fruit of joy that we now have. That now, no matter what we're going through, we begin to think... What about the people that are around me? Who is suffering through this loss more than I am? Who can I reach out and touch? And we're filled with that joy. Because you see, it's not happiness. Happiness comes from happy happenings, but joy comes from the Lord. It's supernatural, and it's sustainable. And it is so strong, it'll carry us through no matter what we go through. And frankly, I think that sometimes, even through the tears, people can see it. I read an illustration where that there was three miners way back in the 1800s in California, and they were mining for gold and these three guys got together and they found what they thought was one of the richest, richest gold mines. And so they didn't want anybody else to know where it was. So they very quietly took their little bit of stuff that they had. And they wanted to go into town and stake their claim 
so they can get more equipment to then bring out the rest of the gold from the mine. And when they got into town, they made a pact with one another. They would tell nobody where this mine was. And if they found anything, all that they were going to do was to claim this little piece of property over there where they knew the gold was, but nobody else did. So they very quietly, very nonchalantly went into the uh, assay's office and they went through all of this, filled out the paperwork. And now they're going back to their little piece of property up in the mountains. And while they did, most of the town people were following them. And later on, they were trying to find out who, which one, who told, who said something about where this goal was. And the answer was simply this. No one told them. But the people saw the countenance of the face of these miners indicating that they must have found something really big. And it kind of reminds me of children. You know that they don't even have to tell you, but you know when there's something going on in their life. And I can tell you that a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ who has abided in Christ, no matter how much hell breaks loose in their life, there is a sense of joy, not a giddy little laugh, denial, making fun out of all of this, a silly little clown thing, but it's a sense of the reality of the seriousness of whatever they're going through. Because usually whatever it is, there is some issues that have to be dealt with. But there's a sense of peace, my peace, John 14, my joy, chapter 15, it's in us, chapter 16, and Jesus prays for us to experience the fullness of that in chapter 17, the real joy that we have. Now again, all of that comes from first, trusting in Christ as your Savior, being in Christ. Then it comes from you drawing from Christ all the riches of His truth, of His Word, and then allowing Him to prune you to bring out more of that fruit of influence. And yes, you'll have your prayers answered, because then you'll pray the prayers that are biblical. You'll pray the ones that he has to answer, yes. Because it'll be all confined to the word of God and all the requirements will be there. He'll answer it. If not, frankly, you won't even ask for that any longer because you'll know that it's not of the word. You'll know that it's not of the Lord. You'll know it's not of the proper qualification. So you'll be praying the right kind of prayers. You'll be experiencing the very thing that you want. The fullness of life. It doesn't mean that you're going to get rich, nor does it mean that you're going to have great national or international notoriety but it does mean this at the end of your life people will know that you have lived a rich and full life as if you're a big rock that plunged into the water and the ripples went on your influence will go on because you have been abiding in Christ and his words been abiding in you and finally at the very end of it there'll be some, such a sense of joy that people will be wanting to be around you. They'll want to follow you. They'll want to know, where did you get your joy? Your joy won't be found in a gold mine, because that'll be gone. It's not going to be found in a new car, and it's not going to be found in a new house, a new job, a new relationship. But your joy will be found in Jesus Christ. Let me end with this. There was a famous violinist that was so famous that people would come to hear him play. But he also was one who, when he played, he played with the most expensive violin that people would know about. It was one of those famous ones that was made so many years ago, like a Stradivarius violin. And he would play that. And people would come to hear him play and to see that violin. And so it was announced that he would be coming to London. And so he came and they filled up this huge music theater. They packed the place out. And there was a little bit of prelude music and then he quietly walked up on the stage and he picked up the violin and he began to play and he played halfway through his concert and then he put his violin down and he lowered his bow and the people just exploded into cheers and shouting and applause and he smiled with them as he continued to walk across the stage and he 
looked at his violin and he walked over to a chair and he took the violin and he smashed it on the chair. You could have heard the gasps from the people as he was smashing this violin. Walked back to the microphone and he said to them, I know that you all are aghast that I would destroy such an expensive violin, such a famous violin. But I want you to know that I took out of my case my cheapest violin and I played it. And you came to see the expensive violin and you heard how it played. It's not about the violin, it's the touch of the master's hand. When I read that, it kind of reminded me of this story here. That as we abide in the Lord, it's really abiding in His sovereignty. We're abiding in what He wants for our life in His Spirit. We may not be great. We may not have a lot of talent. Some have more than others. Some have more gifting than others. Some have more opportunities as they were growing. Some have other backgrounds, other parenting, other situations. Some more, some less. But it doesn't really matter about that. It's not so much about the violin. It's about the violin that's willing to rest in the hand of the master. And so right now the Lord really wants to be the master of your life as a believer. And if you want him to take control and so that you can have the fruit of influence, whether it's praise to him so that others will glorify the Lord, or whether it's leading people to Christ so they can glorify him for salvation, or whether it's just a life full of love, joy, peace, all these things that focus on Christ. So it doesn't matter what you're made of or how tall or short or all the gifting or all the different influences you had as a young person or what you might be facing in the future. All you need to do actively is to abide in Christ and then passively let His Word abide in you. Let Him abide in you. He will take over. And I'm going to tell you, you will have influence. I don't know what it'll be and don't define what it'll be. You just give your life totally to Him. And I'm going to tell you, the change it'll be will be remarkable. But the glory that it brings to the Lord is unchanging. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Perhaps right now you're kind of sorting all of this out. Perhaps for you, you might be looking at your life and thinking, you know, my life hasn't had a whole lot of influence and I'm not even sure if I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I want you to know that God loves you so much that this same Jesus that is teaching these things to his 11 guys, one of them is already gone, getting ready to betray Christ. But the 11 that was there, he knew he was going to go to the cross to pay for the sin of the world. And this is a real event. It's not a story. He's just hours away from going to a cross. And when he went to that cross, he was there to pay for your sin. So you're reading a real-life event with you in it, although you weren't even alive then 2,000 years ago. But he knew that you'd be born because he knows all things. In fact, he wanted you to be born. You're not an accident. And that he had the way of your salvation planned. And so he's getting ready to train these guys and then go to the cross to pay for your sin. And so, my dear friends, the first thing in order for you to abide in Christ is you have to get into Christ. And you get into Christ by placing your faith in him, Philippians 3.9. So why don't you just come to him just as you are and simply say to him, Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you and that there's no good deed that I could ever do that'll get me into heaven. And I know that I have to be perfect, but I'll never be perfect. So Lord, I, I need you to give to me your righteousness so when I die, I can stand before you with your righteousness. So Lord, I, 
I want to thank you for going to the cross 2,000 years ago and making the appropriate payment for my sin and then offering to me the free, full forgiveness and then give me your righteousness. So Lord, I come to you not by my works but simply by my childlike faith in you. I'm coming to you not trusting and behaving in you. I'm coming to you just trusting in you. And so Lord, I believe that you're the Lord who died and rose again and I'm trusted in you. Jesus says, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And when you believe in him, you are accepted in him, into the beloved one. So you're now planted in him. Now once you're planted in the ground in him, now what you want to do is stay there, abide there, and let his nutrients of his word abide in you. Not to stay saved, but because you are saved and you want to have fruit in your life. And that fruit is an influence. And part of that is the byproduct of prayers being answered, a fulfilled life, and of course joy. And all of that still going right back to the Lord to give Him glory so He can smile on you as He did His Son when He said, This is my Son whom I am well pleased. He loves you. So your first step today is the step toward Christ by placing your faith alone in Him. Now, trusting in Christ is not so much a prayer as it is a mental transaction. You are changing your mind. You are turning to Christ as the only one who can save you. You're turning away from your thinking that your good works could get you to heaven because they cannot. And now you're fully placing your faith alone in Him. In a moment, I'd like to pray for you. Now, I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you stand up. Coming forward, standing up, filling out a card, or me praying for you will never get you into heaven or anyone else. The moment you trusted Christ, you had eternal life. But I'd like to pray for you. Now, me praying for you is just an opportunity for me to just welcome you into God's forever family. Maybe you're one out there that would like to have someone pray for you because at this moment you're trusting Christ as your Savior. Maybe today's the day. I'd like to pray for you. So is there anyone in here today, while the heads are bowed and the eyes are closed, that you would like to silently let me know that you're trusting Christ? When you do, I'll simply say, thank you. I saw that hand. Now remember, raising your hand didn't save you. Trusting in Christ in your heart did. But you'd like me to know that you did. And so without someone seeing you, for this moment, I want it to be private. Later on, be as public as you can and should be. But that's at another time. Right now, you trusting Christ is personal. It's a faith thing. Is there anyone in here that'd like to let me know that today was the day you trusted Christ? I'd like to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all today? Thank you. God bless you. You could let me know afterwards. I'd like to give you a little booklet, talk to you a little bit if you want. The rest of you, have you been really sensing that the Lord has been pruning on you? And after he's been pruning on you, you're recognizing the joy it is to really abide in him. And it has really driven you back into the Word again and letting His Word now begin to be your Word, your heart, your mind, your thinking, your life. And maybe today is the day that you're saying, you know, I've been drifting from the Lord and I've been one of those branches that haven't been producing the fruit. And now I'm coming back to abide in Him. And so, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know He loves me like He loved his son I know that you obeyed the father and I'm going to obey you Lord and I love you so my life is going to be different because I'm choosing to remain in you and let your words take control 
and influence in my life. Would you pray for me? So with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, maybe today is a day that you need to kind of go back to the Lord again and change some things in your life so you can experience answers to prayer, fullness, and joy. Would you like me to pray for you? I'd like to. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone here today that would like me to pray for them? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, how important it is for us to know your word because knowing you will be done more accurately if we know your word. We thank you that you're a God who not only makes promises, but you keep them. And therefore, Father, we will go to you when we have needs so that your name will be glorified. And Father, we thank you that you've chosen to bear fruit through us. So, Lord, we pray that there'll be more fruit as we seek to do what you tell us in your word. And then, Father, we thank you for the fullness of joy that no matter what happens in our world, and sometimes it's going to get pretty challenging, but, Father, that the joy can still be there. And then people will see, again, that we're your disciples and you, Father, are getting the glory. Thank you for these today that made some decisions for you. And now, Lord, through your word and spirit, continue to grow them into your likeness. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.